Hey, Christ community, uh, welcome to all of you. Greetings to those of you at our West Campus, our amazing West Campus, and those of you in our Traditions venue, as well as our 15th Street Campus. Really glad all of you are here. Uh, welcome back, college students. We're seeing some of you guys. It's so glad to, we're so glad to have you. We missed you uh, all summer long, so we're glad that, to have you back. And I know school's starting. That's kind of a bummer. But, man, we are really glad that you're here. And if, if you're new to Christ community, this is the first time you're kind of checking it out. Man, we love our college students, and we uh, would love for you to just engage with God here in your time at UNC or Ames or wherever you are going. So before we jump into the message, I wanted to highlight some staffing changes that I'm super excited about. Um, as many of you know, we just hired Nate Davis as our new pastor of student ministries. He is a part of this new department that we're calling Next Gen. So that, that whole department includes middle school, high school, and college students. And our very own KJ Tenza has stepped into the leadership role of that entire department. So KJ is now the pastor of Next Gen. So he'll, he'll be speaking in middle school, high school, and, and college, and he's going to continue to have his role same role as he's had on our teaching team. Um, Pastor Stetson, who was leading our middle school area, he's going to be transitioning into the role of college, pastor of college ministries. And he too will continue his role on our teaching team. And he's also going to continue to be involved in some in middle school ministry. His primary role will be college, but it's a, there's a team effort. This whole department is kind of a, is a, is a team now, middle, high school and college. And uh, they're rocking it. They are rocking it. I'm seriously, they have an amazing fall planned. Again, there's a huge launch this weekend, Sunday night for middle and high school um, students. And so I am super excited about what God is doing um, and is going to be doing in the lives of students at Christ Community and beyond Christ Community this, this year. All right, feel free to turn to Psalm 27 this summer. We've been spending some time looking at various psalms and talking about how we can experience God in the midst of the various emotions and difficulties that we experience in our lives. And so we've talked about things like uh, depression, how we can experience God when we feel depressed or when we feel angry or when we feel attacked or when we feel like a failure or when we feel unhappy. Well, today we're going to be looking at a psalm in which the writer of that psalm, King David, is experiencing something that all of us experience at various times in our lives, and that is fear and anxiety. We, we all have these fears that at times surface in our lives, and they rob us of joy and freedom. We all have moments where anxiety washes over us, and it feels debilitating. And so the question is, how can we deal with that? How do we deal with that? What does it look like to walk in greater freedom from our fears and anxieties? Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that today in Psalm 27. Now, let me say kind of right up front here that I realize some of you um, suffer from anxiety at a level where professional help is, is needed in terms of medication or, or psychiatrists. And, and I just want to say it is not unspiritual or a lack of faith to get help from a doctor or counselor or a psychiatrist for this condition, nor is it unspiritual to take medication for this. But what I want to focus on in this message is kind of the more common experience of fear and anxiety that we all face. And hopefully some of what I share may be helpful for those with significant anxiety challenges. Now, when talking about how to face our fears, the Bible is an amazing resource for us. One of the most common command statements to God or from God to us in the Bible is fear not. 
Do not be afraid. I mean, that's God's heart for us. So let's dive in to Psalm 27, where we see this issue of fear surfacing in David's life. Now, it's helpful. It's really helpful to realize, again, just realize this is, this is the strong warrior. I mean, David was a strong warrior. He's a godly leader. You know, the, he's a conquering king, and yet he struggled with fear. So if you battle fear, you are not alone. And you're not a spiritual wimp or spiritually immature just because you have anxieties that you wrestle with. This psalm powerfully shows us how we can invite God into our struggle with anxiety and and fear. So what I'd like to do, I'd like us to read this psalm out loud together in its entirety. Read this whole psalm out loud together. In fact, we don't, we don't usually do this, but I want us, why don't we stand just in honor of God's word. We're going to stand in honor of God's word and let's read this entire psalm, Psalm 27, out loud together. Here we go. <clears throat> the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is God's word. All right, you may be seated. Now, in this psalm, we see a number of fears that David was experiencing, and they are the same fears that we face. In fact, as I was working on this message, I pulled off my shelf this really helpful book on this whole subject called The Anxiety Cure by Archibald Hart, H-A-R-T, The Anxiety Cure by Archibald Hart. Archibald Hart was a Christian psychologist who taught at Fuller uh, Seminary. It's an older book, but it's really, really good. Great stuff. The Anxiety Cure. So in this book, he mentions 
the six basic fears that we as humans face. And all of them are found in this psalm. Number one, fear of death or severe pain. Huge fear people wrestle with, struggle with, and David does as well. David talks about his enemies wanting to devour him, i.e. to kill him. Second basic fear humans face, the fear of losing control. He talks about war breaking out against him, an army aligned against him. I mean, that doesn't sound like he is in control. I remember a season in the life of this church several years ago when we were were growing and and just then going from one service to two services, and there was a ton going on, and it was stressful. I was kind of thriving on the stress, the adrenaline rush. I was just kind of pushing through the stress. And then one day during lunch with someone, I was talking about going to two services, and I felt this panic kind of arise in me. This, the feeling inside me was like, I don't know if I can pull this off. You know, and this, is, this job's too big for me. What am I doing? And it caused this kind of panic, this anxiety to wash over me. I was losing control, right? I wasn't in control of the situation. It was bigger than me. Third basic fear, the fear of being restrained or confined. David talks here about an army besieging him. To besiege means to surround, to trap someone. I don't know about you, but during that whole Thailand soccer team rescue thing, I mean, I had moments when those kids were still in that cave. I had moments of panic, you know, when I would think about myself being in, in, in that situation and what would I do in that situation, um, unable to get out of this cave for days, right? And I would, that would just kind of fill me with this, this, this fear. And this is a very common fear that many people have, a fear of elevators or, or sitting in the back, back end of a 15-passenger van, right? Or flying on an airplane, <clears throat> being confined. A fourth basic fear is the fear of being ridiculed, embarrassed, or shamed in front of other people. David talks in verse 12 about people spreading lies about him. How, how many of us are terrified of being embarrassed or criticized in public? I mean, that's why some of us, honestly, it's why some of us won't try something new. We're afraid of of being laughed at. We're afraid of failing and looking foolish. And so we just keep choosing the safest, easiest route. Fifth is the fear of being abandoned. Look at verse 10. David says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. That's, That's the deepest abandonment of all, having our parents abandon us. And many of us have this fear of being alone. We feel panicky when we're by ourselves for any length of time. Or we constantly live in fear that our girlfriend will break up with us or our spouse will leave us. It's this deep fear of abandonment. The final fear that Archibald Hart mentions is the fear of something strange or unknown. David is uncertain about his future. He has all these foes that are going after him. What's going to happen? And for some of us, any sort of change or transition can cause just some anxiety, a new job, a new school. You know, it's that unknown that fills us with fear, maybe especially right now school starting and maybe you're starting in a new school or whatever. I mean, new job, there's these unknowns that can, that can cause fear to impact us. So it is so fascinating to me that every one of these six fears, these core fears that humans face, every one of them is found in the psalm. <laughs> I mean, which again is this beautiful invitation to us. No matter what fears you struggle with, this psalm addresses them. It, it contains every basic fear that you and I face, and it shows us how we can face them. 
So what I want to do is highlight, I want to pull out of this psalm three things that David does to face and overcome his fears. And, and then we can do the same thing. So first, what David does is focus on God's power. Focus on God's power. Look again at how this psalm begins. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, David chooses to focus his mind, his thoughts on God's power. See, David is declaring these things. God is my light. God is my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. That word stronghold means fortress. God is my fortress. He's got this. He's, he's my protector. He is with me. He is in charge of the universe, right? That's my God. What David is doing in the midst of his battle with fear is choosing to focus not on his fear, but on God's power. See, David is shifting his thinking. And now I cannot emphasize enough how important our minds are in this fear battleground. What we think about matters in a huge way. So in the book that I mentioned a moment ago, The Anxiety Cure, Archibald Hart mentions this study that was done in Australia um, where people who had actually overcome anxiety, they interviewed them and they asked them what helped them the most in overcoming anxiety. 95% of them said the most helpful thing was self-awareness and working with their thinking. 95%. And Hart then writes this. He says, every anxiety sufferer must learn new ways of thinking and develop methods for changing their former thinking. See, our thinking is what enables anxiety and fear to set up camp in our lives. It's our thinking is what enables fear and anxiety to set up camp in our lives. And once those things establish a beachhead, they're always trying to gain more territory. Once they get a beachhead in our thinking, they try to gain more territory. So let me give a personal example of this in my own life. Years ago, we took our kids. We had four young children. We took them on vacation to the Black Hills, which is an awesome place to visit. And uh, we did the Mount Rushmore Cave. Um, and I'd never been in a cave before. And so with all of our four young children in tow, we were late as usual. You know, when, you know, when, when that stage of life, you're just kind of late to everything. And so we were late and we missed the initial intro and all that stuff. And so we ended up kind of hurrying down this corridor, this very narrow passageway into this cave to kind of catch up with the group. And I remember that as we were descending very quickly down this tunnel, I started to feel this panic, like I can't turn around. There's someone behind me. I can't, I can't get out of here. I can't turn around. And so we finally got down to this, this little larger place. And I said to Raylene, I'm not doing well. I need to get out of here. And she was like, you are not leaving me down here with four kids. Uh, sorry, you are not doing that. Um, and so, so I muscled my way through that experience with the tour and everything. Um, and, and I thought I was okay. A few months later, a few months later, I was traveling somewhere with my daughter, and uh, we boarded our airplane, and um, we were kind of close to the front, so maybe row eight or something like that. And I remember when, when I saw them shut the airplane door, 
you know, and lock that thing. When they shut the airplane door, I felt that same feeling, that trapped feeling again. And I started to have this fear, this panic kind of rise up in me. And again, I was able to muscle through, you know, the trip and everything, but I started to think to myself, I can't fly anymore. I can't fly anymore. I can't do this. Now you got to realize I had flown dozens and dozens of times over the years to various places around the world. And yet here I was convinced that I can never fly on an airplane again. No more overseas mission trips, no more vacations to distant places. I can't do it. In other words, I was saying to myself, I was saying this experience of fear that I just had is now in charge of my travel schedule. I am going to alter my life because of this fearful thing that happened to me on an airplane. Do, do you see what was happening? Yes, I had an experience of fear. I did. I had an experience of fear. But I was now giving that experience total power and authority in my life. I was focusing on my fear and in doing so was choosing to actually give it more ground in my life. I was allowing it to have more control and influence in me. And thus I was allowing it to rob me of all sorts of ministry and life-giving experiences that can come from traveling in an airplane. See, that's how fear works. I wasn't afraid of flying per se. Actually, I really like flying and looking out the window and all this. I wasn't afraid of flying per se. I was afraid of experiencing that fear again. See, I was afraid of the fear. See, fear, that's exactly what fear does. It wants us to get on this downward spiral where our fear feeds more fear. And we start adjusting our lives around our fears. Oh, because that happened last time I was in this place. I can't do that again. And because you know, it, just, it, it just is this downward spiral. We're afraid of feeling that fear again. So contrast that whole deal to what David is doing here in this song. David is not rolling over and saying, fear is just too big in my life. Sorry, guys, it's just too big. I'll never overcome my fears. I might as well give up. See, that, that's what fear wants us to believe. That's what fear wants us to believe. That's what your anxiety wants you to think, that it is in charge, that it is in control, that it is calling the shots. And you and I, we're just kind of the powerless victims. We just live our lives just hoping it doesn't ever happen again. And when and if it does, we feel helpless to do anything about it. See, what, what David shows us in this psalm is that we have the power to reverse the trajectory of this spiral by choosing to change our thinking, by choosing to focus not on our fears, but on God's power, declaring who God is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He is my fortress. Whom shall I fear? So notice the result for David after focusing on who God is. Verse two, look at this. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. See, notice what he's doing. These are all hypotheticals. These are all hypotheticals. He's just saying, hey, if this happens, this really bad thing happens, God's gonna take care of it. And oh, if this other thing happens that would be kind of bad, God's going to take care of that as well. 
See, this is, the to- this is the opposite of where our minds so often go. We, we so often go to the what ifs. What if I have to sit on this plane for another hour, you know, on this runway? What if I fail this class at school? What if a car runs into me? What if I get stuck in a hailstorm? What if my boyfriend breaks up with me? What if I lose my job? What if I never get married? What if this person doesn't say yes? What if, what if, what if? The what ifs are endless. And if we let our minds just go down that path unchallenged, we will end up surrendering more ground to fear. We'll surrender more ground to fear. See, for David, for David, every what if had an answer. God is bigger. Every what if in David's life had an answer. God is bigger. If that thing happens, God is bigger. And he'll be with me. Oh, and if this other thing happens, God is bigger. And he will be with me. So think about a fear. Think about a fear that, that maybe you struggle with sometimes. It, it comes into your life. And, and think about a what if that often accompanies that. Okay? So just think about that. A fear, and there's often a what if. What if this happens? Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to do, actually do something with me right now. Okay? With that fear in mind and those what ifs in mind, we're just going to say these three words together in response to that fear. Okay, God is bigger. We're going to say this together, all right? So you think about that fear and the what-ifs that accompany that fear. Here we go. God is bigger. One more time, say it with me. God is bigger. If this thing happens, God is bigger. Oh, and if this other horrible thing happens, God is bigger. That's the answer. See, when fear in this particular scenario here, what David is talking about, when fear and anxiety seize your heart, when they, when they fill our hearts at any moment in time, you and I have a choice. We actually have a choice in that moment. And the choice has to do with where we will focus our mind. Are we going to focus our mind on our fear? and being afraid of our fear, and what's going to happen then, and you know, the what-ifs, or are we going to focus our mind on our amazing God? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Where are we going to focus our mind? Okay, second thing David intentionally does is delight in God's presence. Delight in God's presence. This word delight speaks of the heart, and the heart plays a role in our fear and anxiety. It's not only about focusing our minds. Some, sometimes our difficulty in focusing our minds is because our thoughts are being fueled by something, a wound in our heart, or something going on in our heart. Um, so th- this is a little of my story. Um, years ago, in the midst of a really busy season of ministry, and travel. I experienced a panic attack out of the blue. I really didn't know what was happening. I didn't even have a name for it. I hadn't even heard of this term. I thought I was losing my mind. Um, and I was certain I was going to lose my job. And so I went to see a counselor. And, and as we processed my story, it became so clear to me through this counselor that my panic attacks were fueled by this underlying message that I had embraced growing up, this message in my heart. And here was the message that I embraced, that I am nothing unless I succeed. I am nothing unless I succeed. Failure is not an option because failure 
at the church or wherever, it would say to the world that I'm not enough, that I don't have value. So think about the perfect storm that was going on in my heart. Got this growing church, which is feeding my ego, and I also had to keep it growing in order to keep people thinking I had value, right, to feed that lie, which made me feel out of control because it was bigger than I was, and I wasn't sure if I could still succeed. So these panic attacks actually were a gift from God. (laughs) They were a gift from God to get me to slow down long enough to look at my heart, to look at what I was trusting in and delighting in. See, at that time, my God, little G, was success. My my God was my performance as a pastor. And so as as the pressure built, my soul hit a wall. Anxiety was the the manifestation of that, but it was something else going on. So what was the answer? And again, I'm still in in process and all this. I'm not saying, oh, I've arrived and all this. But here, here was the answer. For me, it was so important. It was learning to delight in God. It was learning to rest in who God says I am and to rest in his love for me which goes against that core belief. I'm only valuable if I succeed. So I had to kind of speak truth into that in God's presence. So learning to enjoy his presence rather than be addicted to performance, that was my own journey. And I love how David kind of describes this here next in the psalm, in his own life. He says, verse four, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Verse eight, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. See, in the midst of his fears, David chooses to desire God's presence more than anything else, right? One thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord and to gaze upon his beauty. This is an invitation here to be in the Lord's presence and to delight in him him, and to enjoy him. It's this idea of practicing the presence of God, tuning into his presence with you. That's what David is doing. He is focusing on the presence of God. And in, 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 in that place, in that heart posture, David experiences something very powerful. Verse five, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. See, David is using very powerful visual language to describe this very real experience of peace. This is a picture of peace. This phrase, verse 5, it says, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. It literally reads, in the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. In the secret place of his tent, God will hide me. See, what would it look like? What would it be like for you and me to hang out in the secret place of God's tent? What would it look like for us just to be present to and attentive to the reality of this amazing place of shelter, just being close to God, being shielded and kept safe by him? What would that be like? So we have this mini doodle, a puppy uh, named um, Oliver. And uh, Oliver, um, 
He's this amazing dog. Um, so Oliver loves, he loves to dig, and that drives me nuts. But another thing that he does, he loves to do, he loves to burrow when he's in our home. He loves to burrow. So his happy place in our home, if you wonder where he is, his happy place is beneath Raylene in my bed. So he crawls in there, and he just lays there. And it's nice and cool, the air conditioning, all that, so the vents are there. And he, he, I think it feels safe to him. So at night, we have to try to coax him out of there to put him in his kennel. You know, we have to pry him out of this place so we can put him in his kennel. But I think that is a picture of what David is describing here, where the presence of the Lord becomes our safe place. We rest in his covering. We, we rest in his protective presence. Now, here's something that's so important, and we miss it, we miss it, but it's so important. David is intentionally envisioning this in his mind and his heart. You can just tell the language he's using. He is imagining being in the Lord's personal tent. He is imagining being in God's dwelling place. One of the tragedies of adulthood, I don't know when exactly it happens as we grow up, is that we lose our sense of imagination. As kids, we can imagine all sorts of things, you know, being a king or a princess or whatever. But as we grow up, our ability to imagine gets squeezed out by the, the, just by life itself, which is really unfortunate because I believe there is power in our imagination. There is power in our imagination. There is spiritual life and strength that can come to us when we allow the Holy Spirit to use our imagination to remind us of spiritual truth. That's what David is doing here. He is picturing in his mind and his heart the reality. He's imagining it. He's picturing in his mind and heart the reality of being in, in God's tabernacle, being in the secret place in God's tent, resting in God's personal tent. And that image... In his heart and mind, it brings a sense of peace. And it can to us as well. See, when we find ourselves experiencing fear, when our mind is filled with all sorts of what-ifs, when we start to feel anxious about something, the, the Holy Spirit invites us to practice the presence of God in this way, to quiet our hearts and to tune into God's presence with us in actually envisioning him holding us and sheltering us. I mean, in that moment, we can experience his peace. David describes this peace here. Not only is being hidden in God, which is a cool picture, but also he says, uh, you set me high upon a rock. I love that image. When we are in the midst of fear, all we can see are our circumstances and the what ifs, and it feels like this fog settles in. That's all we can see, right? And so what we need is for God to set us high upon a rock. Above, we need to change our vantage point, right? So he sets us high upon a rock above the fog so that we actually see things from his perspective. Right? We see it from his vantage point. That's what his presence can do in our lives. See, the reality is every day of our lives, we are in this constant experience of either fear or peace. I mean, we're constantly there, right? Fear, peace, we're constantly experiencing these things. And, and, and the good news is, whenever that fear arises, we can intentionally move toward peace 
by delighting in and practicing the Lord's presence in that moment. And don't be afraid to allow the Holy Spirit to use your imagination, fueled by the word of God, but to use your imagination to help, to bring peace and these spiritual realities to bring them deeper into our hearts. So last month I was flying um, from Georgia to Denver and um, we were, we were um, leaving uh, Savannah. And so we were on the plane and we had taxied out to the runway getting ready to take off. And then the plane just stopped. And you've probably had this happen. Uh, it drives me nuts. But uh, the captain got the intercom and says that we're delayed because there's this storm. And, and so we're just sitting there on the runway in this plane, and we're not making any progress. I'm, usually, I'm okay if, you know, we're kind of moving, but, but when we're just stuck there, I just kind of felt, again, I felt this, this anxiety sort of rising within me. I'm trapped. I can't get out of here if I need to, you know, that kind of thing. And so in that moment, in that moment, I knew I had a choice. I could focus on this fear and let it just kind of build in me, or I could intentionally shift my focus to God. And so I took out my iPhone, got my earbuds in, and I just started listening to a couple of worship songs that remind me of God's presence with me, right? Imagination and music, all these things, they're, they're kind of speaking to a different part of our brain, our heart, right? And so these, these songs, they reminded me of God's presence. And so I just closed my eyes and I let my mind and my heart go there to this reality of God hiding me and being with me. And I began to experience God's peace in that moment. Within a few minutes, we were moving again and, 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 and on our way. Well, what if it would have gone on longer than just a few minutes? What then? Well, the reality is God's peace is available 24-7. It's available 24-7. There is no end to the peace that God offers us, right? There's no end to it. I love this line of verse eight. My heart says of you, seek his face. His heart is saying, seek God. Seek God's face. Your face, Lord, I will see. He responds to that. I will see. See, that's the choice we have. When fear grips our heart, we can choose. We have something deep in our heart. It's the stirring. Seek God's face right now. Seek his face. We can choose to seek God's face and to rest in his presence. Okay, there's one other thing David does here that can help us face our fears, and, and that is to envision a better future. Envision a better future. As, as we've said all along, anxiety and fear, they love to get us stuck in this place of thinking and feeling like this is never going to get better. This, it's this foreboding sense of doom and gloom. Life is always going to be this way for me and all that. And what I love about this particular psalm is that David doesn't go there. This psalm is filled with hope for a better future. Now, this hope is found in various places in this psalm, but I want to focus on this one line near the end of the psalm. Verse 13, David says, I, re I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love that. David declares his confidence in God's goodness. God is good. And I know that phrase gets overused in Christian circles. I get that. You know, God is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but he is, okay? He is good. He is good. Even when we battle fear and anxiety, it doesn't change the fact that God is good, that he's good. And notice the time frame David describes here. I will see the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. In other words, in this life, this is not a, I'm going to be afraid until I die and then I'll be free from heaven from fear or whatever. No, this is a, I will see the goodness of the Lord in this life. In my lifetime, I will see the goodness of the Lord. And then David turns to us to encourage us in our battle. Look at what he says, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So here's what he's saying. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Fear will not have the final word in your life. Even if you have given it way too much territory, God can help you take that back. But remember, this is a process. This is a battle. We have to intentionally shift the trajectory of fear and anxiety in our lives. I wish fear was something we could just break off with one prayer. I'll just pray for you and break fear off and you never struggle it again. I wish it would be like that and it would just forever be gone in our lives. But it doesn't work that way. Fears and anxieties, they come upon us. We're, it's a fact of life. And they'll continue to come upon us as a part of life. We cannot escape that reality. But we can choose to not let these fears and anxieties rule us and rob us of life. We can choose to experience the peace of God by focusing on who God is and by delighting in his presence and by envisioning a better future. We can change the trajectory of this in our lives by doing exactly what David did. Amen. Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we welcome your peace. Spirit of peace, spirit of love, come. Fill this place. And Father, I just want to pray for each one of us in our whatever fear we may wrestle with, battle with. God, you would help us choose to focus on you rather than our fear. So that we would not go down that spiral of fear and letting it just take more and more control in our lives. No, we would we would take that back by focusing on who you are. And I pray, Lord, as well, that we would choose to delight in you. And like David, this beautiful poetry, this imagination, that you, we would focus our hearts and minds on this picture of you being our shelter and being hidden in your personal tent delighting in you and worshiping you. So awaken that in us, Lord, this, this place of experiencing your presence through your spirit. And then finally, I pray for hope. I pray for just to envision a better future for those of us here where we maybe have been discouraged about this area of our life and we feel like, oh, it's never going to get better. I, I, I just pray, Lord, hope to take courage, to wait on the Lord. And so I pray for hope to be poured out in this place, God. We welcome you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, God, that you talk so much about fear in the Bible because you don't want us to live in fear. You want us to, to live in the fullness of your life and peace. 
And so we pray for that. Thank you for helping us, continue to help us walk in this. And I thank you, God. We thank you, God, that it is rooted in the work of Christ. That this peace that's available to us is rooted in the work of Christ. There's this amazing passage, God, in Colossians that says that we, when we're in Christ, we are hidden with you in Christ. I love that. In the gospel, we are hidden in Christ. Hidden in your love, Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, for the tangible opportunity we have as we respond to this message in, in some prayerfully chosen songs. We, we have that opportunity, but also by partaking of the Lord's Supper. This table, Lord, you, in your word, you say that you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies, the presence of our fears. You prepare a table. <laughs> and so thank you that you invite us to rest in your salvation, in your goodness. Jesus, you provided for all of that. We are hidden in you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us, for securing our life and our forgiveness and this love that drives out fear. So here's what I want us to do. In just a moment, when the first song begins, I invite you at any point really during the worship to go to one of the tables. And uh, um, here at 15th Street, there's... Uh, gluten-free and regular bread at every table. So you can just uh, note the, the little sign there. But go to a table, take a piece of bread, which represents Christ's body given for you. And then you can dip that in the cup with the juice, which represents his blood shed for you. And you can either partake right then or you can go back to your seat. Um, and so... Uh, and, and then we'll just, this is a part of our worship response to the Lord. And so, so why don't we stand? Um, let's, let's stand. And I want to pray for us and just this engagement of the Lord's Supper. And then let's just worship this amazing God who is ours. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us on the cross. And as we come to a table and we take the bread and, and we dip it in the juice, Lord. We, we want our hearts to be reminded of your amazing love for us and that we are hidden in you. <laughs> we are hidden in your love and nothing can separate us from your love. So let me just also say, if you, you don't have to be a member here to partake of the Lord's Supper um, we do ask that you just, if you've placed your trust in Christ, you're welcome to partake. And maybe that's a decision you want to make right now. You've never said yes to Jesus. You can do that right now. Just say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I place my trust in you. Just come live in me and forgive my sin. Just tell the Lord that. And we invite you to partake as well. So set us free, Lord, to now just to worship you. We love you. We praise you, God.